The point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy who is good. Hashtag glue guy, hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Holy to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue. Liberty Blue. Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. Rangers fans, welcome to the best Rangers podcast in town. I am Andrew Chelney alongside Nick Zararis, and we are Liberty Blue. We scream about the Rangers so that you can save your voice. That's how deeply we care about you. And we appreciate that you've joined us for the ride. This is episode 42, live on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. Full video will be up on our YouTube page at Liberty Blue Podcast, and the audio version will be available wherever you get your podcasts. Search Liberty Blue on your podcast platform, and it should be there. Give the show that shiny and illustrious five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Helps the show way more than you think it does. Today's show is about the most recent few games that they played, why the Hurricanes always seem to just not have a great time against the Rangers, the big matchup against the Devils coming up this week, and a whole lot more. Well, Nick, a, a loss to the Hurricanes aside, it's a pretty solid week, I got to say. Yeah, no, you're starting to see the picture come into focus now. Uh, we talked about it last week that the, the, the three games building up to that, the two against Pittsburgh, the one against Nashville, that was the first time you really saw what the Rangers are trying to be. And you saw it get refined a little bit more. The Tuesday game against Carolina, they didn't look great. They didn't get settled in early enough in that game where the Rangers are good at playing from behind because that's typically when other teams are going to be more passive offensively. They're going to be more willing to concede and just play defense. And, you know, the more you're playing defense, the harder it is to eventually get out of that funk. It's why the Rangers were able to come back on Thursday. It's why they were able to come back on Saturday. And those open-ended back-and-forth games, the Rangers' high-end talent is going to be able to make a difference. And it's one of the things as to why Carolina has struggled against the Rangers. And I got some really good stats explaining kind of just how ridiculous it is that the Rangers find ways to win against Carolina. But, yeah. Everything is slowly but surely starting to come together. Less than ideal that you lose Lingren after one game coming back from IR. We're going to talk about that too. Less than ideal there. But for all intents and purposes, other than Gallant throwing the lines in a blender a couple times over the last couple of days, it, just to try and find something in those games where they got slow starts, there's not a whole lot here. Uh, we're in a holding pattern now. There's nine games to go. Yeah, nine games to go. They're four points back at the second spot in the division. They're in a holding pattern. Try and excuse me. Try and pass the Devils. Maybe Carolina falls off a little bit more down the stretch here. Carolina's got a rough stretch of games. They've got the Leafs. They've got the Bruins. That's really it. We're in the holding pattern now. Just get to the playoffs. No more injuries, please. Yeah, I, I I would like to just see the Rangers play a full 60 minutes more frequently. If you take a look at their last three games and they won two of them and I'm not, you know, it, it's it's I guess it's inside baseball at this point, but like the the Rangers really should have won that game against Carolina, the first one at home. They had a lead in the third period. They blew that one. They played a good game for the most part, right? You you watch if you if you watch the game and you look at the the micro stats or if you if you use the eye test, whichever one you want to you know associate uh, your your experience with the game with, the Rangers played a solid game for a good portion of that. And, but they didn't play a full sixty, and Carolina took advantage of that, and they won the third period and won the game uh, against uh, the, the the rematch. The Hurricanes 
were th- skating circles around the Rangers in the first period. But they weathered the storm and they found the opportunities where Carolina gave to them and they managed to score more goals in the Hurricanes and then that was the game. F- Florida, for like the first half of the game, it was all Florida. It was it was all Panthers and you could see how desperate they were to to get to a playoff spot and the Rangers are really not playing for a whole lot right now so they're like I can I can understand why the Rangers kind of at certain aspects in certain points of the game or certain you know maybe maybe against tomorrow they they might lay an egg hopefully they don't against Columbus but there are times where they look like they are just ready for the playoffs like they don't really they always want to win the game. Sure. I'm not saying they, they, they purposely want to lose the game, but like the effort just isn't there comparatively to what they could possibly be and what they have shown they could play at, at that certain point. So I just want to see more consistent 60 minute efforts from this team. Is that too much to ask for Nick? Tiny addendum to that. I, I think it's a matter of playing in a way that has an emphasis on detail because so much of the way the Rangers want to play is predicated upon extremely difficult plays. Those long stretch passes out of their own zone, the swing passes through the neutral zone that let somebody gain speed to go through and gain the zone with speed, and then the crossing pass in the offensive zone from one hash to the other, where you're setting up the one-timer, you're getting the goalie moving left to right. So much of the Rangers' preferred style of play is rooted in that attention to detail. It means, are defensemen passing guys off properly, and are they letting the other team shoot from areas that is going to allow our goalie to make a clean save, our defensemen to recover it, break out, go the other way with speed, gain the offensive zone with speed, and get a shot on goal within two, three seconds of entering the zone. All of that takes so many little details to go right. It's not as simple as, say, the way the Hurricanes play, where it's constant motion. The puck's always going forward. It's always going forward. And then once it's in the offensive zone, on the net, on the net, on the net. It doesn't matter where it's from, if there's traffic in front or not, just get it on the net, get it on the net, win the board battles, keep the cycle prolonged. Because Carolina knows they don't have the finishing talent for those high end plays, especially without Svetch. Yeah, without Svechnikov, yeah. Aho is a really good player. Really, sure. really good player. He's not a, a raw finisher. He doesn't have a shoot the shooting talent of someone like a, even a Zabinijad, who pretty good shooter. Zabinijad's one of the better shooters in the NHL. He doesn't have that level when of shooting shoots. talent. When he shoots. Because he doesn't he doesn't like Andrew, to do that. I know you I know you read what I wrote today. Zabinijad yes. shoots more than he passes. Anecdotally, it does not feel like that, but he does. He contributes more shots per 60 than uh, assists that lead to shots. I'm telling you. It, well, the, the yes, numbers bear that it, out. It definitely it just feels that way because he passes it does. because he because like the, there's been so many times over the course of this season and in past seasons where he might, you know, over the course of 82 games shoot a lot. But when there's so many instances where he's in a high danger opportunity and instead of putting the puck on it, he passes. That's the most frustrating aspect of all of this is that like he can shoot the puck a lot. I'm not saying he never shoots the puck, but like there's so many situations where everybody collectively is screaming at the TV or if you're at the game at Zabinaja directly shoot the puck and he's passing it. He's trying to force the pass and that almost never works. So the counterpoint to this, and I forget what NHL player was on 32 Thoughts that Elliot asked him about this. 
they see the ice differently than us. We have different perspectives of the ice because sure. we're looking at it from a top-down or an angled perspective where we can see more of what's going on around them. So what we're seeing is not what they're seeing, and it's hard to kind of remember that. And so maybe it does seem like he's passing out of shoot situations, but it's hard to entirely tell because you're never going to know what exactly they're seeing and how they read it, which is why whenever you hear a player talking about how they actually like to play – I find it so interesting. Like, for example, during the NASCAR race yesterday, there's a driver who's injured and wasn't able to race, but they had him on the broadcast. And the entire time he was talking about, well, in this situation, I would like to be doing this. I'd be on the radio saying, I want to do this in this situation. But if we can't do that, that's the type of stuff that until we get that from NHL players, well, well, when you're looking here, what are you seeing? That's the type of stuff that until we get, it's going to seem to us anecdotally watching TV or at the game, why aren't you shooting? Well, we don't see what they're seeing. So that's the counterpoint to that. You got to remember. Nick, do you live on a different clock than everybody else? This man has like 18 podcasts that he's doing. He wrote that amazing article about Zabinajad and Fox earlier today. Like, and you're, you're watching NASCAR. I mean, do you have just have more than 20? On yesterday. Do you have more than 24 hours? Because like, I, I, I want some of that. If you are if you got more hours than we do, let, let me in on the secret. What's the secret, man? There is no secret. I get like seven hours of sleep. Uh, I've got four screens at my desk. Uh, fifth one that was supposed to get delivered today, but it came in the box <laughs> broken. five! Well, the, the iPad I ordered from my desk oh my got, came broken, so I got to bring that to the post office tomorrow and get a refund and get a new one. But yeah, we're trying to optimize our screen time, especially now that baseball is coming. You get the lulls in between pitches in baseball, which presents opportunities where you can be paying attention to other things. That's the thing. It's not how much time you have. It's what you do with your time. Let, let it be known. This man has five screens and he's, he's, he's wasting no time. He's got all of them on something. There is always a frame of reference I can be making to something else, okay? There is always a frame of reference where if I'm thinking about this, what does this compare to? That is the way my brain works. And for the purposes of this exercise, that was my point. They see it a little bit differently than we do because we're looking at the game in a different perspective. And they also have – but sidebar, you mentioned this and it came to me. I still am thinking about that one scoring chance Kreider had where he was at the net now. He was at the it. net, dude. Just he was at the, the net and just – like, I get it. I really do oh, get it. Mika and, Mika and Kreider have had the Mean Girls thing where they break the crown up into five pieces and give it to everybody for like four years now. Yeah. That's always been the vibe. No, I want you to score. I love you so much, dude. Yeah. I want you to score. That's he was great, at. He was in the crease, dude. Yes. With Ridiculous. the puck on his stick and there was nobody around him, but he passed. Dude, Absolutely shoot the puck. I'm begging. Absolutely. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, last thing I want to get in before we start focusing specifically on the two Carolina games. You're starting to get the feeling now. Everybody's kind of settled in. They got to fix the power play. The power play has kind of been a mess for the last week and a half, two weeks. And I understand they're still trying to acclimate everybody together, figure out if they're going to do a 50-50 split, if they're going to do 60-40, 70-30, who's going to play with who. Well, they've tried tried the overload, and it just is bad. It doesn't work, yeah. You would think in, in a vacuum on paper, that if you overload the first power play unit, that it would be unstoppable. Like it would have a, a 45% scoring rate and uh, it would be the most lethal power play in the NHL. It does look bad. It yeah. does look bad. They they don't move. They haven't moved. They haven't like they they will pass it around the perimeter, but they don't move themselves. And that that's doesn't a, that's a great point. And uh, they they don't create open Movement. space 
in on the power play. So what ends up happening is you have the four you have the four uh, defenders on the other team that are probably in a diamond or in some kind of you know perimeter defense, and they the 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 thing that you have to do on the power play is move it and move move the puck a lot, but also move yourself a lot so that the so that the defenders get tired and that creates passing opportunities, scoring opportunities that creates or you more, get them out of position. Right. Yeah, if exactly. You move, there's a, if you're moving, right. you can make your opponent. Right. move. That's a, the idea. You, there, a, yeah. That is the entire premise of having an extra person. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You have more numbers than they do. Yes. Make them move, make four people cover the space of five. If you are stagnant, yeah. the four guys get to stay where they are. You're not putting stress on them. And that's, At, that's what the that's what their first power play has not done at all. Yeah. They've 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 done some passes. They've occasionally tried to shoot the puck at the net, but they haven't moved themselves around at all, really. And that has made the power the the penalty kills job very easy because yeah. they don't have to move. You're not creating out of position opportunities. You're not cre- you're not making them work to get the puck out of the zone. And that's been their biggest problem, which. You haven't seen a whole lot of if the if the power plays have been broken up into equally skilled units, which get equal in theory power play time. When you overload, at least for right now, the Rangers, if you put everybody on the first power play unit and say, "Hey, go have fun," nobody moves. There's a lot of passes, and it makes the penalty kills job very easy. And they got to break it up. Yeah, no, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, we're, the one thing that's kind of annoyed me this year, and this is whole year. This is like even before Kane, uh, Kane and Tarasenko got here. They went away from the underneath stuff that really worked well for them last year. One of the things that worked for them really well would be when Fox would be at the point and he would skate inward, and that would bring a killer out to him. And then underneath, it would become four on three and an even tighter amount of space where you'd have Kreider at the net mouth, you'd have Strom near the net mouth, and you'd have Zabinijad for the pass and Panarin on the other side. And you're playing four on three and an even tighter space. And by having Fox skate inward and bait somebody out to him, you're creating a smaller amount of space for four players to be in. And you're creating more of those high danger opportunities. And I know Kreider was never going to have the power play luck he did last year. He had something ridiculous, like a 30 something percent shooting percentage on the power play and a lot of those are tips deflections those are really hard plays to execute repeatedly i understand that but when you're struggling on the power play you should be trying to get it simple to the point where all right get it to the net mouth let our biggest strongest guy bang at it in the front of the goalie and if it goes in great if not we're going to be right back there the, the Kreider is one of the most physically gifted players in the entire league. He is an absolute monster of a human. What's the Adam Fox tweet? Kreider's a meat market, something like that from like 2011, something like that. Go to the net mouth, let your biggest, strongest player bang at the other team's defense and go to work. It doesn't just have to be the pretty cross seam stuff. I, I get that that's what they're really good at, but at some level, when it's not working, you got to have your second, your third, your fourth ways of scoring, and that's a great way to segue to Carolina. Anything else you want to get in on this real quick before we go to that topic? I know it won't happen, but maybe maybe if I cross my fingers enough, it'll happen one day. Can we get Keandre Miller to to quarterback the second power play unit instead of Truba? Can, can this I don't be think it? they want him to. I think they want I, somebody I under, to shoot. Clearly they don't because they haven't tried it, but like whatever Truba's doing isn't really helping either. No, no, no. He shoots low percentage scoring. He, he's a low percentage guy. I, I mean, I remember reading an article, Travis Yost wrote the first year Truba was here. And the, before Truba played a game as a Ranger in that summer when they gave him the extension, 
Of the five players in the entire league who took the most shots with the lowest shooting percentage, two of them were Rangers that year. It was Truba and Shattenkirk. Shattenkirk's one year where he played, you know, like 40, 50 games before they shut him down with the torn meniscus. Truba's should, always been a low volume Which, by the shooter. way, I mean, why we're did not relating history. Why into, did he play? It was it the whole season? That's you Andrew, know, that's, no content for I'm the I'm still mad about season. it. I'm still mad. It's fine. Everything's Andrew, fine. I'm mad no about it. It's okay. Content se- no out of content. Out of season content in season. It's fine. Actually, I'm still mad about it. It's fine. I understand. Okay, so <laughs> switching up gears to talking specifically about why the Rangers in Carolina. So we've talked about it ad nauseum. You're going to hear me reiterate it again. When the Rangers are on defense, they want the other team to shoot. What does Carolina love to do, Andrew? Shoot. When the from Rangers anywhere. are a lot when the Rangers allow other teams to just funnel pucks on net from outside the circles, the point, the Rangers are able to get their really good goalie, Igor Shusterkin, to make a save, recover the puck, break out, go the other way. The entire the entire way Carolina is, wants to play the game sets up in a way for the Rangers to succeed. And you're gonna hear me read it from here. So in the regular season over the last two years, they're four and four head to head. No overtime losses for either team. In those games, the Rangers have 38% of the scoring chances, 44% of the goals, 35% of the expected goals, 35% of the high danger goals, a 10% shooting percentage, and a 91 91 a 9-1-2 save percentage. The deciding factor and the reason the Rangers have won in the regular season. The Rangers have six power play goals. That is the difference between winning and losing in the regular season. In the playoffs, that's where it gets a little bit more interesting. 43%, 57% of the goals. That tells you they are getting crazy goaltending or crazy shooting. And guess what, Andrew? In the playoffs last year, 95% save percentage in the playoffs. When you let the other team just shoot on the really good goalie, the other goalie, the really good goalie is going to stop the low percentage shots that sure. Carolina's entire team is built upon. That's why, like you said, the Rangers looked pretty good, even though they got outchanced pr- roughly on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, even though the, it was like, I think I want to say it was like 12 to three scoring chances after the first period, something egregious like that. I still didn't feel that bad about it because none of Carolina's chances were that dangerous. You felt pretty good about the goaltending. It was just a matter of would the offense be able to get going? And then once the offense got its feet under it, once Heedle and Kako got going there, the kid line always plays well against Carolina because they're the one line the Rangers have. And I'll be fair, the the fourth line as well, that's willing to just dump the puck and cycle and keep working it, keep working it. Whereas the top six want to do the cross-team stuff, go out there fast. Kid line doesn't mind getting dirty. They'll go below the goal line and win those puck battles down low. They'll create offense the hard way. That is why the Rangers succeed so often against Carolina. Even though the underlying numbers skew heavily in Carolina's favor, it's because the Rangers want those games to go that way. And it just made me remind me of, it reminded me of something you tweeted the other day that I want to talk about. So go ahead and then we can bring that up. The the biggest fear that I have as a fan of not the Hurricanes is that eventually the owner would will want to spend money and that they will acquire <laughs> An premium player. scoring talent. Because if you put a, a pure sniper or a couple of pure snipers on that roster, they will dominate the NHL. Like, Best I can do is Derek Stepan. Uh, yeah, right. And Paul Stastny. Like the, the, the thing about the Carolina Hurricanes is that they dominate puck possession. And that's wonderful. Normally, when you have the puck while the other team, you tend to win more games. The problem with their team, even with, even with Sveshnikov, is that they don't have the top 
pure elite scoring talent. They don't have finishers. They, they don't do have the have finishers the finisher. that that complements that style of hockey. They have a lot of players that fit well in that system and will play that kind of, you know, coursey battle forever. They will just hold the puck and they will just shoot forever and ever and ever. But they don't have that elite sniper that will take them over the edge. And Carolina, for better or for worse, for I guess for better for us because you know, for and the rest of the league, it's one less thing to worry uh, about. Yeah, it's 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 it, you don't have to worry about the Hurricanes from that perspective. But if you're a Hurricanes fan, eventually you have to think to yourself, like, why isn't this team just getting snipers? Why isn't this team going out and getting elite scoring talent that can really push this team from a playoff team into a true title contender? Because if you have a lot of these guys that can control the possession and control play all you need is one or two elite elite finishers to really to really make that a scary team a very scary team could because right now they can put up 40 shots on goal but if 38 of them are stoppable shots then who cares how it's why it doesn't matter how many shots they get on goal if not if most of them have little to no chance of going in the net if but if you have i'm not i mean this is this is just like off the top of my head like if they got timo meyer as a like if they got him to fit into the top six that's a much scarier team timo meyer is a great player but he's a really good finisher and that's somebody that they really needed to fit that system they need finishers they didn't get those and yeah like the hurricanes can skate circles in the offensive zone and shoot at shuriken's pad 12 times in one shift but that's not going in the net. So no. who ca- like what difference does it make? Yeah, no, I forget if it was Fitz who called them that called them Corsi merchants first, but that's what they are. They've got great underlying numbers, but in the playoffs, that approach has historically not worked. You need the dangerous scoring chances, and you need timely goaltending, which Carolina was not able to get in the playoffs as well. So the one that the thing you had tweet, tweeted the other day was about how the Rangers always let the other team score first, and I, I have a visual here for this because I found it interesting. So when the Rangers are tied game situation. Negative expected goals, so below average and below average offensively and defensively. When they are down one, that is when the Rangers get going. The evidence bears out that they are better when they are down a goal. And I think it speaks to what I mentioned in the opening segment where we talked about what the ideal game state looks like. So what does it look like for the when you're playing when you want to play the way the Rangers are playing? You want the other team to be taking crappy shots. They're not going to take a lot of chances when you're playing with a lead. When you have a one-goal lead, your defensemen are going to be a little more passive. They're going to be a little more reticent to pinch in the offensive zone to create a scoring chance. They're going to be more inclined to be lax, to be defensive first. And that plays into the way the Rangers want to open these games up. They're going to be able to create more offense when the other team is more passive. And we know what the NHL coaches love to do. They love to protect leads. How do they love to protect leads? By not playing offense anymore. That's exactly the turtle. How, oh, baby, the turtle. The turtle. They want to turtle because they feel that is the lowest risk way to drag a game out to a state where they can win. The Rangers play well when the game is open-ended and they can trade chances back and forth. When teams are in that 
turtle posture where they are not being aggressive, where they are trying to minimize risk, that is where you can catch them flat-footed or going the other way, where you can hit that crossing pass in the offensive zone because their defensemen are going to be a little closer to the net trying to play to block the shot as opposed to blocking the pass. So I do think there is something... There, it, I don't think that like, they're consciously saying, "Hey, let's go down a goal so we can get the game to go the way we want to." <laughs> that would be and, wild, though. Hey, if genuinely, if Jared Gallant goes into the locker room and says, "All right, boys, give up the first goal and then the game starts," like that would be wild. Because I'm trying to think of a comparison where you kind of get the other team to do what you want to do, and the closest thing I could think of is in football, where if you line up with certain personnel, that's going to get the other team to be like, "Oh, they have this number of players that do this. We need this number of players to do that." It's that kind of idea, but I can't think of an exact one-to-one to another sport that'll make this make sense more than just the deranged rantings of a 26-year-old. But in the per- for the purposes of this conversation, the Rangers play really well when they are down a goal because the other team is more of defense for worst, and they are not. At, they are not trying to create offense as much, which plays to the Rangers' defensive strengths. Because as we've talked about, they have one defenseman who's really good at breaking out of the zone right now. The other one is injured and may or may not have his arm attached to his body. We have not got confirmation on that. So when the game state is in a way that favors the Rangers, they typically play a lot better. That visual is this visual, and I'll flash it up here again. You think about it. In a tie game, they don't, they're not taking a lot of risks offensively. They're creating below average. And then defensively, they're not conceding a lot, which is good. But at the same time, if you're con- not conceding anything, but you're not creating any offense, that presents an issue because you're not trying to change the game state. You are being passive. Down one, you are getting to the net mouth. They are in the areas you want to be scoring from when they are down a goal. They are at the net mouth. They're in the high slot, the dangerous areas. And then when you see when they're up a goal, the Rangers, they love them a turtle too. They concede 12% more expected goals against when they are up a goal. That speaks again to the turtle phenomena that we've discussed ad nauseum. If you go back to the graph for for a second here, it's interesting to 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 look at what the the graph looks like when they're down two goals. When they're yeah. down two goals, it is all offense all of the time, and no one's playing defense. <laughs> Their expected goals against goes up twenty eight percent. Like yeah. if they are down two, there is zero defense being played. They are a hundred percent. We are sending. We will send J- Braden Schneider on a, on a breakaway. We will send Brent Harper on a breakaway. It doesn't matter. There's no one. There's no one on the blue line to defend. It doesn't matter. We have to sure get everything is fine. All five forwards in the offensive zone. All five players in the offensive zone. I should say at all times. Nothing else matters. I just find that interesting. Oh, by the way, we somebody on the coaching staff needs to tell Ben Harper to stop taking wrist shots from the point that are unscreened. He's good for one of those every single game. And like, Ben, I get it. You're trying to keep them honest. It's a heat check. But bro, you're in the offensive zone with puck control. Keep it moving. Keep yeah. it moving. That is, the, what's the Patrick Ewing clip? Is that your shot? Do you work on that shot? Do you ever take that shot? <laughs> no. Ben, you do not take that shot anymore. That's not your shot. If, the game, if you're winning by three goals, you're losing by three goals, go ahead. But in a close game, Ben, or do, just keep even the puck even it, well, if you're down three goals and you're taking unscreened shots from the blue line that are easily stopped by the goaltender, then get off the ice. <laughs> like if you if you're down by so many goals and you just want to get something going and that's your way of getting it done, go sit down. Like that's you know, there's it's there's frustrating. There's there's better ways of creating offense than than shooting a, a wrister from the blue line that the goalie sees all the way and makes an easy save. And and not only that, it's it's one thing to take a shot like that and maybe hope for a rebound 
or some kind of tip in or whatever. Where the chest does nothing. The, right. And the, the biggest problem with that is there's a whistle. Yeah. All of the offensive pressure that you just had in the offensive zone, it's over. The, and there's a face-off. I mean, if you win the face-off and you get the you get possession going, but you got you got to restart the whole process of of getting that pressure back. Because once the once the face yeah, off starts, face every, off, you, you, you got to do the whole up. right. You got to do the the whole process all over again, and w- there's no need for it yeah. if you have the puck in the offensive zone and the puck is on your stick, on you know in in the blue line, and and you have four other players around you that can ha- that can just get a better shot on goal. You you throwing it at, at the goalie's logo for a face off. Don't do a whole lot. It doesn't do a whole lot. Correct. Correct. All right. So Thursday is going to be fun. I, I, I'm yeah. I am going fun. to gaslight myself into being convinced the game will be fun as opposed to stressful. I'm going on <laughs> Thursday. The Sean Avery jersey behind me will be on my back. We're going to have ourselves an afternoon oh, in New Jersey yeah. on Thursday. I'm very excited for it. I, for one, am starting to buy in a little bit more than I was say a week ago, two weeks ago, because they're getting the goalie going at the exact time. They kind of needed him to snap out of it because it's not like he was playing terribly, but he is very steadily climbing up the goal saved above expected leaderboard. He was, I think, 14th at the start of February. He's up to seventh now. He is making the gradual climb up to where he should be top five in the league where you would expect him to be most years. The power play needs to get sorted out, but the goaltending is getting there. The five-on-five play over the last 15 games is getting there. Everything is trending in the right direction, and Thursday is either going to be... What I imagine Thursday will be is a chaotic back-and-forth track meet with a lot of scoring chances going both ways. I don't know if you remember or not the first Rangers-Devils game the first Rangers Devils game last year after the deadline, the first game that Mott and um, Justin Braun played, where the Rangers had a really good first period, They and then I think they were up 2-0, and then the Devils tied the game at 2-2, and then the Devils ended up winning that game, I think, 7-4, something ridiculous like that. That's the type of environment I imagine that game is going to be played in on Thursday, where it's going to be a lot of up and down back and forth which goal he's going to be able to make a save that they probably shouldn't make steal a save steal a goal from the other team and can you find a way to limit the devil's best players I talked about this with somebody over the weekend about just the, how good the season Jack Hughes is having. Jack Hughes should be a heart finalist, like legitimately. He should, he should yeah, be yeah. one of the three finalists. Like it's McDavid's award to win. Obviously, he's going to. He's going to have 160 points. He might yeah. hit 60 goals. Jack Hughes deserves real recognition for mm-hmm. the seasons he's having with the Devils, and he always kills the Rangers. Jack Hughes has really good numbers historically in games against the Rangers. I'm going to pull it up right here and. Throw it over to you for a second while I'm doing that. Yeah, like the the thing about the Devils is that they know how to use their speed to kind of I don't want to say skate by certain players, but skate by certain players, especially when not Adam Fox is on the ice. Because if you if 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 bro, the the worst nightmare of of all time is Ben Harper on the ice and he sees Jack Hughes coming. Like he has to Jack, Jack Hughes is going to be the Shaq. The Shaq like, barbecue chicken alert. It, yeah, dude, that, that, that's what Jack yeah, Hughes yeah, like All Jack Hughes needs to do is kind of breathe and he's by Ben Harper. Like the, the, and again, we, I'm not trying to hate on Ben Harper, the individual. As a player, he's very slow. He's it doesn't, slow, yes. 
you don't need an analytics chart to tell you that. Just watch him play. My man's is slow. He is very slow. Jack Hughes, if he has the puck on his stick and Ben Harper's on the ice, good luck. Shesterkin, Igor, listen, I love you. I love you, pal. You got to get Ben out of this because Ben ain't getting Ben out of this. Yeah, no, I looked it up. Jack Hughes, 14 points in 15 games against the Rangers. So, yeah, the numbers speak to it. Jack Hughes, very good at hockey. Uh, Thursday, the other thing I'm looking to see, can the Rangers get one of the other lines going against the Devils? That's a problem they've had against the Devils, especially where if the high-end guys, like if Zbigniew and Kreider aren't scoring, the kid line has not played historically well against the Devils, haven't been able to get a ton of production out of them. Can they get contributions from the secondary scoring? The Rangers' fourth line is better than the Devils' fourth line. Can you get a Mott or a Gaudreau or a VZ goal in the game on Thursday? And I know the way we're talking about that's, this. That's Devils of- legend, Jimmy VZ to you, Nick. Come on. Yeah, hey, man, I did Jimmy Vesey started out on the Devils' fourth line last year, and now he's on a team that has legitimate cup aspirations. Uh, don't quit your dreams. Even though if I were Jimmy Vesey's agent last year, I would have been like, bro, you got a business degree from Harvard. Just go get a finance job. It's a lot less stressful. You won't get CTE sitting yeah. at a desk, Jimmy. You'll, you'll get financial- paid less, though. Yeah, but any so. financial firm would love to have. He played in the NHL. He's That's, right. Firm- That's right. He's- That's right. You're a financial services manager. He played in the NHL. He's got benefits. He drives a Benz. I, yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. Jimmy no, the, 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 hey, come here. We have a, we have a former NHL player stat through the roof. I mean, you would get, you would get a line out the door to get to do business with Jimmy V. So you're kidding me? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, the other part of the game on Thursday that I want to see, I want to see how this Rangers team does against an actually good team. It's been a few weeks since they have played a team that is legitimately good. They beat up on Pittsburgh. They beat up Florida. Carolina is a pretty good team. Low scoring, difficult to find offense, but that's kind of how those games go because Carolina is going to take a lot of shots. The Rangers aren't going to take as many. The game is always going to be kind of a drag out, kind of stressful environment. And then you throw in the laughers against the bad teams like Nashville. What do the Rangers do in this first game where they're all kind of settled in against a really good team that plays a style that is going to put stress on your weak points. The Devils are a very fast team. They play in transition with a lot of speed. They're going to get pucks to the dangerous areas. So the Devils and Carolina have been top five in most of the metrics all year. The Devils do it with volume and quality. It's not just like Carolina where Carolina just throws it at the net from everywhere. The Devils do that. But they also get the puck down low. They get the puck below the goal line. They use their speed to open up lanes in the defensive zone. Like, God help. I, I'm The one concern I have is the Truba-Milla pairing. Because against the Devils, it, they have had a rough go of it the last couple of times. And that's because the Devils are so fast. We talk about how Truba and Miller need to be communicating with each other. Where, okay, you're going with puck, I'm on net. Or vice versa. Because that's where all their breakdowns come from. Is yep not passing guys off to each other properly, and that's where they get into trouble. They have been a lot better the last few weeks. Truba is almost at 50% of the goal share. He was at 42% at the start of the month of February. He's up to 47% at 5-on-5. That is a real significant increase in a one-month span. To go from being almost... 40% of the goals to 47% of goals. That is a real significant increase. And it says, A, they're getting a little bit luckier goaltending, but the goaltending was never going to be as bad as it was the first half of the season. And that they're not conceding 
as much. They're still conceding more than they probably should from what's supposed to be your defense first pair, but they are at least conceding at a rate that is manageable where they're going to be able to trade offense and defense relatively equally with who they're playing. I just don't want to see a goal against in which like Miller is guarding somebody in the top of the left circle and then Trippo is like at the boards. Like, I don't want to see that kind of goal again, because whenever that happens, and again, like I say, I say this multiple times on the show, but I just want to reiterate, like, it's not like we do this because we enjoy talking, you know, blankety blank about Truba. And to a certain extent, like, you know, Kendra Miller has been way better than Truba, but like that pair in and of itself, there's a lot of like just low lights contribute to that pair a lot of the times for two where, talented players yeah, they make yeah, a lot yeah. of mistakes like they yeah exactly for for players that are way better than they have been playing they may they're the 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 mistakes that they've been making you you can clip from a game and you watch yeah. that and you go like what where wh- what was their thought process where are they like there's throughout the course of the season there would be somebody standing in front of the net for the Ranger for the other team. The the Boston goal that we talked about a few weeks ago, where Charlie Coyle literally just skates behind Truba. Truba has not a single clue what's going on in front of him, and Coyle just skates by and scores. And Truba yeah, just no, has, Truba thought the puck was still behind the net. Right, he was like, looking behind the net, yeah. and he just never turned around. He had it, no he had no idea Coyle was behind him. Like that's yeah. that's the kind of mistake that really bothers me watching Truba play. It's just like, dude. Like this is this is not the Spatial kind of thing that should awareness. be happening. Come on, yeah. Like he he's been better the last couple of weeks, and hopefully, hopefully we can stop talking negatively about it. Like I would want nothing else than for Truba to actually be worth that contract, and for him to be good defensively. I would love that. Maybe maybe to the some people like might think the contrary and think that like we love talking, you know, blankety blank about Jacob Truba. But just like, dude, I would love for Truba to win the Norris. Like we don't understand it. Like it it pains me to talk so negatively about Jacob Truba. But the fact of the matter is, is that watching him play and all of the let's just say questionable decisions he makes in the defensive zone warrants these types of conversations. But to your point, to, to his credit, he has been playing better. I just am hoping from the bottom of my heart that this isn't just a two-week stretch or a three-week stretch and that this continues on to the playoffs. Truba's a high-leverage player. Every decision he makes is extremely risky and the impact it's going to have on the determining play where if it goes right, they're going to get the puck back and go the other way or they're going to go completely around him. He loves lining someone up in the neutral zone for a hit, entirely missing, and then the person just goes around him. (laughs) Like teams line him up. Like I don't have the the uh, microstat chart in front of me, but teams target Truba for zone entries the most of the six Ranger defensemen because they know he's going to take the risk and risk being out of position to go for the hit. When you are scouted to that degree where teams know, hey, he's going to line you up for the big hit. You just got to avoid it. And then you're in two on one. That tells you that, hey, Maybe you need to change your decision-making process, but because he plays such that high-leverage style, it's always going to be that high-risk reward, and that's why the range of outcomes are so stark where he can get really good results for a week or two because he gets some good luck on those gambles he takes. That's really the thing, especially with anything like that where it comes to decision-making and variance, is it's going to ebb and flow over the course of a season. There are just too many outcomes for it to consistently hold one way or the other because they really are just 50-50 propositions. Is he going to make the play on the puck or not 
Okay. Last thing before we get out of here, you and I were, had a disagreement about this. I would like the lines to be a little – I I could go for one more last line reconfiguration before the playoffs because they've got nine games to f- kind of figure out if anything is better and they can always come back to this because this is fine. The top nine they have, and by default the top 12 because the fourth line staying the fourth line. The forward group they have is playing pretty well right now at five on five. I do think there's a better combination of forwards somewhere in that top nine though. I, I don't disagree necessarily, especially like if you want to try things out against Columbus or against, you know, another team that isn't like the Rangers don't have to send all their horsepower to beat. You could try you could try and just see what sticks. The 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 the, the concern that I have in regards to that is okay, well the fourth line is saying the fourth line that that's not going anywhere. Hopefully not going anywhere. Please, Goudreau, uh, stay there. I, I beg. Go, Gerard? Gerard? Please, just keep Goudreau there. I, I beg of you. The fourth line is there. Okay. The kid line has its ebbs and flows. There there have been games where they've dominated, and I think they, they scored the, the three out of the four goals against the Florida Panthers. Like yes. they, they were clearly the best line out there. They played very well. Like they were, they were dominating possession. Like they, they just had a really strong game. And then there's other times where they're completely invisible. Like they, they don't get anything done. So they are kind of a hot and cold line, I would say. But the the top six, they, the, Gerard Gallant made the switch today, of putting Panarin out w- without Kane again, which which is the right thing to do. This is what dream. Hey now, hey now. This is what dreams are made of because all Panarin would do with Kane to try to pass it to Kane. Hopefully that doesn't happen anymore. So with that, I like this line configuration right now with Panarin and Kane on two different lines, that is the ideal for me. So the fourth line says the fourth line. He, I, I guess keep the kid line together for now because they had such a strong game against Florida. Why? Like, I don't maybe, maybe just try new things against Columbus. See what's like, see, see if somebody gets some chemistry with somebody put P- Kane with Hedl. Do it against Columbus. Do it. Why not? But against a team like New Jersey, if that doesn't work, go back to what did. Yeah, I have had in my head for a while. I would like to see Kreider with Zabinijad with Kako. I would like to see Heedle in between Panarin and Kane. I would like to see Tarasenko with Lafreniere and Trocek. I've had that top nine in my head for a while now because it's predicated upon maximizing Heedle, uh, maximizing Panarin and Kane by giving them a center who's going to be able to keep up with the way they want to play. Trocek is having a really a solid counting stat season, but he does not impact offense to the same degree that uh, a Kane, Panarin, Kreider, or Zabinijad does. Trocek's a good player. He doesn't have the high-end skills of the guys I just mentioned to kind of impact offense to the degree that you could un- you can get more out of Panarin and Kane by giving them a center with more high-end skills the way Heedle, especially the last month or so, the way Heedle's kind of been locked in. When Heedle is dialed in, man, he's really starting to kind of, I don't want to say figure it out because that's doing him a disservice because he's already, I think, four years, five years into the league at this point. But he's really kind of getting to the point now where he's impacting the game in a way you would expect somebody to be in your top six. And having that on your third line is a luxury. And the reason I I would advocate breaking up the kid line, and even if this is just for experimental purposes over the next month or so, is kid line trades chances. 
in the playoffs, that is going to get them benched for long periods of time, and they're going to need that line to contribute offensively come the playoffs because you're going to need at least three lines contributing. The ideal circumstances is everything keeps working. You got four lines, and they all contribute goals. The fourth line has been really good over the last month and a half. I talked about it last week. It's still true after three more games. Jimmy Vesey and uh, Tyler Mott have the most high-danger scoring chances per 60 minutes of any forwards on the team. Yes, they play the least amount of ice time, so their numbers are going to be a little skewed. They're play- doing it against worse competition, but they are getting good results in their 10-11 minutes of even strength ice time. That's really encouraging. Trying to get at least two of your four lines going consistently should be the minimum. Then you start worrying about, okay, we're in the second, the third round against really good times. I would like to see a way if we get three lines. You get three lines going, then you're really cooking with gas. You think about all the teams that have won the Cup the last couple of years. They really set themselves apart with the depth scoring. They have quality pieces up and down their lineup. I think this Rangers team has enough components that they can get to that point for a few weeks to over the course of a playoff run. What that configuration looks like, I gave you my candidates. I This is fine for now, but I do think you can get this group to a higher ceiling by finding a more optimal configuration. I don't disagree. I, you can definitely, you could go to, again, if you want to do that against Columbus or even against the Sabres to a certain extent, because they the chances of them making it right now are pretty slim. If you want to try things out against teams like that, go right ahead. And if something sticks, if if if... Kane and Heedle or whoever, you know, insert pair here or trio here have a really good game and they look great, then keep it going. But if it doesn't work, then just revert back to what what worked against the really good, you know, if you if you're playing a really good team. If you try out a line blender on the top on the top nine against Columbus and maybe one thing works but the other things don't change everything but the one thing that worked and then try it against New Jersey. Like the that game is important, I guess, from a seeding perspective. The Rangers want to win that game. It's New Jersey, sure, but they don't have a ton to play for. So I, I guess, in a in a you know in a macro sense, like if you really wanted to try things out against New Jersey, you could because the Rangers, you know, the Islanders aren't catching them. Pittsburgh isn't catching them. They are firmly at least secured in that third spot. So that's kind of the worst they can do at this point. So if you wanted to try things against New Jersey, I, I it wouldn't be the, my first option, but I wouldn't necessarily hate it. I can see the vision by just trying things out every game, no matter what. And also, it might benefit the Rangers from trying things out against the really good teams because if something works against a really good team, that's a really good sign. So yeah. if Jargalant wants to try things out for these next few games... I that's fine as long as as long as you don't do some silly things silly shenanigans come playoff time then then we'll have that conversation when we when we get to it but if you want to put things in a blender and just see throw things at the wall and see what sticks in these in these last nine games how about it yeah no that that'll just about do it for this week's episode uh make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast all the major podcasting platforms over on YouTube, if you're more inclined to enjoy the video type of thing. 
make sure you follow along on the show's socials at Liberty Glue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Andrew and I. Andrew's handle is Chelney Andrew, C H E L N E Y Andrew. Mine is at Nick Zararis, Nick C A R A R I S. You can follow all of my deranged rantings at all hours of the night. Hope everyone has a good week. Uh, Rangers can come to their playoff spot tonight if Buffalo loses and Florida loses in regulation. Great. So, got. Got homework for tonight. So we'll see you guys next week. And the Rangers will be in a playoff spot by the next time we record. So we didn't mess up the first part of the season. That's love that. We're in. Baby, we're in. Later. No.